It's good to be in church on a Monday night. Thank you for being in the service tonight. And I say this all the time, but I really mean it. The only thing better than church on Sunday is more of it on Monday. And I'm glad that you're here tonight. If you find something good, you don't want just a little bit of it, right? You want a lot of it. For example, we talked about it last night, ice cream. You don't want just a little bit of it. You want a lot of it, don't you? You don't have to say anything. I can tell we all want a lot of it. But anyway, money. You don't want just one dollar if you want two, right? That'd be better. If you're married, how about a smooch from your wife? Some of you fellows thought, we, we get to do that? Yeah, you really do. Old preacher, he's in heaven now. John Rice was driving down the road with his wife, and she said, John, why do you love me? And he said, because the Bible tells me to. And she said, John, that doesn't turn me on. He said, that's okay, it doesn't turn me off. But anyway, uh, same thing's true at church, though. I don't want just a little bit of it. I want to get as much of it as possible. And I'm glad to be back in church with you tonight. Looking forward to it. I tell you this much, I need revival. I've never heard anybody cuss like Brother Evan cussed on the way up here in that traffic. But anyway, I'm kidding. He didn't. He did. But anyway, all right, Job. Job, chapter number 29. If you're able to stand, stand with me. We'll read verse number one down through verse number seven. And uh, I, I, I've just enjoyed getting out. It's been good. I feel like I'm on recess or something. It's a blessing. But I'm looking forward to what God's going to speak to our heart about tonight. And I'm praying that he'll help us. And uh, I don't know, there might just be one person tonight that needs to hear the message. But that's okay. If that one person gets what they need, then it's worth the trip. But uh, I believe this. God never lays something on a preacher's heart just for him. Usually what God speaks to me about, there's somebody else that needs to hear it too. So I'm praying tonight God will take the message and apply it to our life. Job chapter number 29. Now, if you are going to skip out on the meeting, skip out on the meeting in the uh, fall. Don't skip out on this one. You come tomorrow night and then come Wednesday night as well. And I promise you this, I don't know what God's going to do, but he wants to do something. And here's the way you look at church. You get a free padded chair to watch God do something. So you might as well come and take advantage of your free spot, all right? Job chapter, well, we might charge you. I'll take up another offering tonight. Job chapter number 29, verse number one. Moreover, Job continued his parable and said, Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God preserved me, when his candle shined upon my head, when by his light I walked through darkness, as I was in the days of my youth, when the secret of God was upon my tabernacle. When the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were about me, when I washed my steps with butter and the rock poured me out rivers of oil, when I went out to the gate through the city, when I prepared my seat in the street. Now, if we were to read the rest of chapter 29, basically the context of this chapter is Job is reminiscing. Job is sitting in his current circumstance, which is horrible. He's in the midst of a trial, unlike any man outside of Christ on the cross of Calvary, has ever had to endure. And as he sits in that current dilemma, he begins to look back on how life was before the circumstance. He says, boy, I remember how good it was back then. I remember how it was back then when the hand of God was on my life, back then. When the light of God lit up my pathway, back then. When the rock poured me out rivers of oil, but that was back then. I washed my steps with butter, and every Baptist can say, Amen. But uh, he said, boy, it sure was good back there. In verse number two, it's not a casual thing, but his soul is crying out. That first little word, O-H-O, he cries out, oh God, oh that I were, as in months past. What's he saying? He's saying this, God, I sure wish I could go back the way it used to be. I wish that what's happened didn't ever happen. I wish that wasn't where I'm at right now. I wish I could turn the page back and rewrite the story. 
I wish I could change things. Now, I don't want to be unkind to Job, but I want to tell Job, you can't go back. Once it's happened, it's happened. Once it's done, it's done. It's over. You can wish it, you can want it, you can pray about it, but you can't go back and change something that's already taken place. I believe I preach to people all the time that feel the same way. They have something in their life that if they could get a do-over, they'd take a do-over. If they could miss out on that disease, if they could change that family situation, if they didn't have to go through that trial, that midnight phone call that changed their life, they would change it. And they sit there and they wish it and they want it and they hope it and they pray it. But I want to tell you tonight, be kind, as kind as possible. You can't go back. You can't change your past. It's impossible. But here's what I want to preach tonight. Job couldn't go back, but I'm glad his life and story doesn't end in chapter 29. But God gives us all the way in the book, in the last chapter of the book of Job, and we find that Job gets back twice as much as he lost. So I'm preaching on this thought. You can't go back, but you can go on. And I'm praying tonight someone will just make a decision, take the key, put it in the lock, open the cell, and walk out. Lift up your anchor and sail on for God. Leave whatever it is back there and just press on. For a little while tonight, let's think on that thought. You can't go back, but you can go on. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for power to preach. I pray you to speak to us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The Apostle Paul made the statement, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. He said, I press toward the mark. Tonight, I believe those who live in victory and those who get to live life like an overcomer have come to understand the truth that you and I cannot go back, but thank God we can go on. David couldn't go back. I guarantee you David wanted to go back. David couldn't go back and erase the sin he committed with Bathsheba. I'd say David lost sleep over it at night. He wrestled with it. It brought a lot of sorrow and heartache into his family. No doubt he agonized over it, probably prayed to God about it. But no matter how mad he wanted it or wished it or prayed about it, David could not go back. But thank God he could go on. And he found out God had great plans for his life. I think about someone like Joseph. I'd say Joseph wished he could have gone back at times. I'd say Joseph wished he could have gone back and erased all the heartache he'd experienced at the hands of his own brethren. His brothers took him and threw him in a pit and then sold him into slavery and he went off into Egypt. He spent three years in prison. I'm sure Joseph wished he could have had a do-over on that. He probably prayed and wished it and hoped for it. I just want to go back. But he couldn't change what had happened. It already happened. He couldn't go back. But thank God he could go forward and God exalted him to the right hand of Pharaoh. I think about Peter. I bet you Peter wished he could have gone back. Peter had been faithful, but Peter had a hot temper. Peter was a Baptist, no doubt about it. Uh, lost his temper, even cussed a little bit like Brother Evan. But anyway, Peter wished he could have gone back. He'd faithfully served the Lord. But you know the story. He backslid. He doubted. He went fishing. I'd say he wrestled with that. He probably wished he could have changed that, never would have done that. But no matter how bad he wanted to have a do-over, he didn't get the do-over. But thank God he could go on. And God used him to preach on the day of Pentecost and see a great revival. And tonight, you and I have got to realize the things that happened in the past, that's just it. It is over. It is done. It is the past. And you can ruin your future by trying to wrestle with your past, or you can resolve, like Job, get up out of the ashes, put your boots back on, and walk on for God. I'm talking about lift your anchor and say, 
sail on. Put the key in the lock, open the door, and walk on, rise up, and go forward for God. You don't find victory looking back. You don't find peace looking back. You don't find joy looking back. You can't retry a closed case. You can't go back and bring somebody who's dead back to life again. You can't go back and change a tragedy. You can't go back and get a do-over on a divorce. You can't put words back in your mouth. But thank God there's still breath in your lungs and blood in your heart and life in your body. And by the grace of God, you can go on. Few men have enjoyed the riches that Job enjoyed. On the heels of that, let me say, few men endured the burden and the trial that Job had to endure. Job was a man who was known both to man and God alike. The Bible says that Job's a perfect man. Some of you ladies thought you found him, but no, it was Job. That Job was a perfect man. He was a man who was upright. No, no, not a single woman said amen. But anyway, he was a man who was upright and eschewed evil. Now, Job did not live a sinless life. But listen to me, he did live a spiritual life. And because Job lived that spiritual life, God blessed him in an amazing way. Job not only worshipped God himself, but he also led his family to worship God as well. And let me go ahead and park it right there and get snagged just for a minute and say this, fellas, it'd be all right if you'd be the high priest of your house and lead your family in worshiping God. Somebody said, why is it so many Christians are dead? I said, it's because so many daddies are dead. Say amen right there. Thank you. I'll be back tomorrow. Job's piety caused him to prosper. Most people want to be blessed, but they don't want to live a blessable life. You say, how do I get the blessings of God? You find the blessings of God only one way, on the pathway of obedience to the Word of God. Now, if you study out Job's life, he's a wealthy man. He had 7,000 sheep. 3,000, sounds more like work than wealth, but 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses in a very great household, the Bible says. In fact, the Bible tells us in verse 3 of chapter number 1, Job was the greatest man in all the East. In today's financial figures, he's worth millions and millions of dollars. So think about it. Job is not slumming it. Job isn't living in a shack on the wrong side of the track somewhere. He's not scraping under the couch cushion to find a couple spare nickels to buy him a thing of bubble gum out of the bubble gum machine. Job is capital B, blessed beyond measure. Job loved on God, and God in turn loved on this man by the name of Job. But tonight, the reason I know Job, and the reason you know Job, is not because of his bank account. When I think about Job, I don't think about his assets. I don't think about what was in his wallet. But when I hear the name Job, I immediately think about the burden, the trial, the, uh, the, the hard time that Job had to wade through. You know the story, but let me tell it to you because if I don't, I got no message. There was a day when the devil came and stood before the Lord. The Lord asked him what he'd been doing. The devil said, I've been running to and fro in the earth. By the way, I guarantee you he was up to no good back then, and he's up to no good tonight. The devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. One woman said uh, to B.R. Lakin, I don't believe in the devil. He looked at her, the old preacher, and said, well, then who's doing all this devil in then? Anyway, I know there's a devil. He came and stood before the Lord, and he said, There's no one like Job, God said. He said, Have you considered my servant Job? He's a man who fears God and walks with me. He loves me. And the devil says, That's because you've got a hedge about him. He thought that Job loved God simply because of what God did for him. He didn't know there could be a man that could love God just because God is God. And he said, If you let me have access to him, I guarantee you, he'd turn his back on you. 
Now God gives the devil access to Job. And a trial ensues. A trial in his life, I said, unlike any man's ever gone through outside of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. If you read through the opening chapters of Job, you find his trial. I'll give it to you just in a summary form. First, Job receives word that his oxen and his asses have been stolen away by a group of robbers. And the servants who watched them had been murdered. Before that man can finish the bad report, another man comes. And he says, Job, fire's fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and killed the servants who were watching the sheep. Before that man could finish his statement, another man comes. And he says, Job, the Chaldeans have come and stolen away your camels and killed the servants who watched the camels. You ever heard that statement when it rains it pours. And if that wasn't enough, on the span of maybe moments, another reporter comes and he says, Job, I don't want to tell you this. I hate to be the one to tell you this, but I've got to tell you, Job, your children, all your sons and your daughters, your ten children were together eating in a single house. And Job, suddenly a strong wind began to blow and the pillars of the house began to shake and the roof began to give way. And Job, that house fell and all of your daughters and all of your sons are dead. Can you imagine in one day getting the news? All of your wealth is gone. All of your family is gone. All of your flocks are gone. All of your fields are now barren. Can you imagine the sorrow? Can you imagine the pain? Can you imagine the heartache? Can you imagine the shock that just entered in the heart of this man? He'd have to dig ten graves for his ten children. He'd have to attend ten funerals for his ten babies. He'd have a wife that would nag him and friends that would uh, accuse him. All of of his wealth had been stripped away and his trouble doesn't end there. If that wasn't enough, the devil takes his attention and turns it away from Job's flocks and his fields and his finances and his family. And he focuses on his flesh. All of a sudden, this man by the name of Job is afflicted, the Bible said, with boils from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. All over his body are these burning, oozing, agonizing sores. So much so is the pain that Job finds a broken piece of pottery in the trash heap of his city. And he sits down and begins to scrape his body with a broken shard of pottery. Can you imagine it? Picture this man. He's gone from the mountain to the deepest depth of the valley. He's gone from being blessed to being broken. He's a man that was the greatest man in all of these. And now this tragedy has come into his life and it doesn't even stop there. If that's not enough, now his wife begins to tell him to commit suicide. Can you imagine? Some of you say, I can't. But anyway, can you imagine that? His own wife says, Job, you've done something wrong. You brought all this heartache in our home. Why don't you just curse God and die? Can you imagine that? He has three friends that come. It's supposed to be his friends. I wouldn't want a buddy list like this. But his three friends come and they sit and just stare at him. They can't believe the spectacle that is Job. He doesn't look the same. His countenance has fallen. His flesh is ravaged. And one by one, they say, Job, you must have sinned and brought this judgment into your life. He's a broken man. He's a man in turmoil. He's a man that has everything taken from him. And can you see him as he sits there? He can't even find a word to say himself. His friends can't find a word to say at all. I imagine as he's sitting there, his mind probably went back to how it used to be. I'd say while he's sitting there scraping his body with a broken piece of pottery and seeing those ten tombstones outside of his window of his home, he's probably thinking, I wish I could go back to before this ever came into my life. 
Maybe his mind went back to how it was. And he envisioned in his mind as he sat there in his current pain and thought, I remember how this house was just a happy home. Maybe he thought about those 10 dead children when they were little. And he could hear the sound of those little feet pattering through the hallways of his house. Maybe he thought about the moments his daughters had climbed up into his lap and looked him in the eyeball and said, I love you, Daddy. And he thought, I wish I could go back to that. Maybe he thought about those days he'd walked with his boys in the fields of his family farm and said, one of these days, son, all this is going to be yours. And now his boys are lying in the ground. They're dead and gone. Maybe he remembered those moments when his wife would embrace him and he thought about his table in his home, no doubt a large home, that rich man with a long banquet table spread with so much food you could never eat it all and his servants surrounding the table. And they talk about how great it was to work for this man by the name of Joe, but now they're all dead or they've been stolen away. He used to look out his windows and he would hear the bawling of his flocks and see as the camels would walk by and those donkeys and the sheep and the different things. And he remembered how it used to be and he looked back from where he was and he looked back on how it used to be and it sure was better in the old days. In Job chapter number 29, that's what Job is doing. He's reminiscing on how good it used to be. If you were to read this entire chapter, you'd find out Job is testifying that God had been good in his life. He looks back and said, I remember when the hand of God was on me. I remember when the light of God would light up the way. I remember when the young men wanted to be like me and the old men respected me. Kings were envying, envious of me. Everyone knew that I was blessed of God. You skim the chapter and it's obvious that God's favor is on him, that God's hand is upon his life. He didn't live in the lack. He lived in the surplus. He wasn't broken. He was a man that was blessed. Before he laughed and now he cried. Before he had joy and now he has sorrow. Before he had it all. And now it's all been taken away. And when you come to verse number two, I believe his soul pours out upon this page of scripture. As he says, not casually, but I'm talking about a broken man. Oh God. Oh, oh that I were as in months past. See Job sitting there now. His home is unkept. Maybe grass grows up around the foundations. That banquet table that used to be filled with food is barren and dust covers the top. He looks around at that table and the chairs are pushed out where once his servants sat, but now they're gone. There's no conversation echoing through the halls of his home. Just a voice crying from the far end of the house. Are you dead yet, Job? You got to curse God and die. He looks out on his fields, and now their fallow ground, that bell that used to chime around the neck of his oxen, now lies idle there in the field. He looks on his barn, and the wind maybe blows the door open, and there's no fruit in that barn. Everything's stripped away from him. He looks at his body, and his flesh is in turmoil from all those boils covering from every inch of his body from head to foot. And Job sits there, and finally he breaks down as he realizes the light of God seems to have gone out in his life. The hand of God has been removed from his life, and he breaks down and says, God, I just wish I could go back to how it was before this happened. I wish I could go back to how it was before this pain. I want to go back to how it was before this heartache. I want to go back to how it was before this turmoil. I want to go back to how it was before the funerals. I want to go back to how it was before the loss. I want to go back to how it used to be. I want to go back to how it was before. Now I'd like to jump in the story right here and encourage Job because we have the blessing of having the full vantage point of the book of Job and we understand that his story doesn't end in the ash heap and his story doesn't end covered in boils and his story 
story doesn't end with dead babies and a nagging wife and forsaking friends, but God still had a plan for the life of Job. You read the back of the book and Job wins. He gets his wealth back. He gets his flesh back. He gets his family back. God was not done with him. I'd like to jump in the story right here and say, Job, listen, you can't live right there. You can't live in that ash sheep. You can't live in with those regrets. You can't live looking back on how it was. You've got to get up, Job. I know that it hurts. I know that it's not pleasant. I know you wouldn't choose it for yourself, but God's on his throne. God has a plan for your life. You can't change what's happened. You can't bring him back, but God can bless you in the future. But you got to rise up, Job, and go on for God. Tonight, I want to preach to you. I want to tell you, if that's you tonight, you can't go back and change what's happened. I wish it wouldn't have happened, and I'm sorry that it did, but can I say that God that was with you through whatever it was is alive and well tonight, and if he saw you through it, he'll see you through tomorrow as well. You've got to get up. You can't live in regret. You can't live with remorse. You can't live with that guilt. You can't stay in that pain. By the grace of God, you've got to rise like a phoenix from the ashes of yesterday and go on tomorrow for the glory of God. You might feel like you're sitting in the ash heap. You might feel like everything's falling apart. Can I say you don't get her to do over? You only get one chance, and once it's happened, it's happened. You only get one shot, sir. I wish I'd changed. I wouldn't have treated her like that. You can't change it. You already treated her like that. It's done. I wish I wouldn't have called her that. I wish I'd have been home more. That's fine, but that's going to kill you. You can't change what's taking place. But here's what you could do. Find your way to an altar, do business with God, and say, by the grace of God, starting today, I'm going to be the right kind of husband to my wife. Ma'am, you can't change it. I shouldn't have called him that. I should have hit him with the smaller frying pan, that big one. I shouldn't have done that. I wish I'd have loved him a little bit better. I should have. You can't change that. But you could resolve to do right from here on out. Teenager, you can't change it. You should never have gotten the car in the first place. Hello? You shouldn't have gotten that situation in the first place. Once it's gone, it's gone. Once it's happened, it's happened. You can't change that. But I'll tell you what you can do. By the grace of God, you can get right with Him and say, I'm going to do right from here on out and resolve to go forward for God. I preach in churches that are dead today because they're living in yesterday. Oh, I wish we could go back to how it was. Not me. Have you ever seen y'all's carpet back then? I'm telling you, in the pants y'all wore, you fellas wearing those bell bottoms. Oh, my word. What in the world? What happened to you? Everybody walking around like Peter Brady. I mean, I... I preach in some churches still yet today. It looks like the 60s threw up all over that place. But anyway, I don't want to go back at all. But they'll look back and say, man, I wish we could go back to that day when God was moving and God was working. You can't, but you sure can depress and kill a church today by talking about it all the time. But I tell you what we could do, know that God's still on his throne and go forward for God today and watch God do a work. I want to tell Job, you can't go back and change it, but you can go on. Why? Let me give you three words, I think, on number one. You can go on because of grace. That's a pretty good word, by the way. When I read the book of Job, I think grace. Now, you're probably thinking, don't you understand, Brother Cooper, this story is full of tragedy and heartache and death and destruction and pain and suffering? Yeah, it is on the surface. But every once in a while, you got to dive a little deeper than the surface. I think when you dive a little bit deeper than the surface and you really examine the book of Job, you'll find that the totality of this book is a theme or a story of God's sufficient, God's amazing grace. Grace is the wellspring from which you and I receive every good thing that comes to us from the hand of God. God's grace is infinite because God is infinite. God's grace is inexhaustible because God is inexhaustible. God's grace is ever-present because God Himself is ever-present. And I'm glad in the book of Job, yes, I find heartache, and yes, I find sorrow, and yes, I find pain, 
pain, but I also find the grace of God every step of the journey. The Bible said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That word sufficient means this, adequate for the purpose. That means... That almost make a Baptist shout on Monday night. That means you walk up to whatever it is. You take your problem, you take your shortcoming, you take your sin, you take whatever it is, and you introduce it to grace, and grace says, yeah, I can handle that. You just, you just walk it up. It's adequate for the purpose. I saw, I saw a plumbing van in Detroit, Michigan, and it said there's no job too dark, too deep, or too dirty that we can't clean up. That's exactly what grace says. There is no problem, no peril, no sin, no nothing. That's too dark, too deep, or too dirty that grace can't come in and clean it up. Job is sitting there in the midst of a whirlwind of trouble. I mean, there's a tornado of trial all around him. But at the same time, the grace of God permeates the life of this man. He said, how do you know? Because in the very first chapter, with all of that mess going on, he still testifies and says, the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You can't worship in a place like that unless the grace of God is real in your life. Now listen, Job lost his flocks. Job lost his family. Job lost his finances. Job lost his flesh. Job lost a lot, but he never lost the grace of God. And tonight you're here. I want you to understand something. The grace of God can reach further down than you've fallen. It can take you further than you've ever been before. It can turn your life around. It can start you off new again. Thank God for his amazing grace. I'm glad God's grace does not obey the posted signs of your problems. You got a no trespassing sign up on your trial? That's okay. Grace doesn't obey the law there. That's good theology, isn't it? Grace does not obey the law right there. It sees that no trespassing sign and says, nope, coming in anyway. Thank God. In the hospital room, guess what? Grace is there. At the funeral home, grace is there. Family trouble, grace is there. Financial trouble, grace is there. I said a minute ago, we're sinned of the bound. Grace does much more bound. You know what that means? When you fall into sin up to your ankles, grace will climb to your kneecaps. Is that too deep? That means whenever sin goes up to your kneecaps, grace will uh, climb up to your waist. That means whenever you fall into sin up to your waist, grace will rise to your chest. And when you get into sin up to your chest, grace will rise up to your neck. And when you get into sin over your head, grace is greater still. I'm glad there's more grace in God than there is sin in man. Say amen right there. And I don't know who you are tonight, but I know this. The grace of God, if you let it, will be sufficient enough to help you go forward for the glory of God. Everything might have been spiraling out of control, but God was still much in control. And the grace of God was sufficient. Grace does not necessarily take the tears away but it does make them bearable. Grace might not take your pain away, but it will make it more bearable. Grace can't bring back somebody that's gone. It can't undo something that you've done, but thank God grace can see us through. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. What's it say? Through many dangerous toils and snares I have already come. What brought him safe thus far? It was grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Charles Spurgeon was riding home after a day of working in his church, and he felt weary and depressed. He often battled with depression. And he said, when he felt depressed, suddenly that verse came into his mind, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for thee. He said, began to laugh and said, I think it ought to be, Lord. He said, it made my unbelief and my, my doubt seem so silly and so absurd. He said, I was, I was sort of feeling like a little fish who was thirsty, but scared to take a drink of the ocean lest I drain it dry. So I kind of felt like a mouse in the days of Egypt when Joseph had the grain and I was scared to take a little bite of grain that I might take all the grain out of Egypt. He said, I felt like a man who climbed to the top of a mountain and be fearful to breathe in that I might rob the atmosphere of its oxygen. I began to laugh and think, you know what? His grace is sufficient. And I promise you here tonight, I don't know what it is, but I know this. God's grace is sufficient for thee. Next word is not just grace, but I like this word, growth. Growth. 
God's primary purpose or plan for our life is not just to bless us, but to better us. God is in the Christian growing business. His goal for your life is that you'd grow in grace. Job has been brought to his knees, literally and figuratively. But I believe we find a better Job at the end of the book than even at the beginning of the book. Because Job has gotten put through the furnace. Job has been tried and purified and he came forth as gold. I believe Job was tempered. I believe Job was strengthened. His faith in God. I believe his mercy. I believe his character. I believe his patience. All of these things were developed there in his trial. James uh, chapter 1 verse 2 through 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work that she may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. Now here's the problem. We've been conditioned as independent Baptist people, to associate growth with something you can touch. You say, how's he growing? He's not building a bus route. He's not building a new auditorium. How's he growing? Can I say growth is not always putting branches upward and outward. But often the best growth is roots down deep that you can't see. And God's not so much interested. Now, don't get me wrong and don't clip this out for the internet. But Job, God is not so much interested in growing a bus route or growing a Sunday school class or even growing a church as much as he is in growing a Christian. Because if God can just get a bunch of growing Christians, the other stuff kind of takes care of itself. In 2 Peter 3.18, the Bible says, but grow in grace. It doesn't say grow in prosperity. It doesn't say grow uh, in ease. It doesn't say grow in comfort. It says grow in grace. And like we just preached, often the grace of God is most realized in those times of trial. So the word number one is the word grace. You can go on because of grace. Number two, you can go on because of growth. I want to grow in my Christian life. I don't want to be the same this year that I was last year. I don't want to be stagnant. I don't want to plateau. I don't want to just be stuck. I want to grow. Uh, every year I have a, a reevaluation meeting. And uh, when I was in Kentucky, I always had one every year with Pastor Fugit. Now I have one with Pastor uh, Treber here in California. Because here's the thing. I don't want to just be busy. I want to be effective. And there's a big difference in being effective and just being busy, right? I don't want to waste my time. I want to utilize what time I have for the glory of God and get, I want God to take me like, a, here's West Virginia theology, washcloth, it's like a washcloth, and ring it out. I want him to ring my life out, get every drop of me out that he can for his glory. I preach in some churches, they just plateau and they're stuck and they're, they had a, a moment of boom and now they just kind of ride the wave on how it was. The will of God for our life is to always be advancing, to grow. God's working on you. I wish it always took mountaintops, don't you? How many of you did vote for that? I wish it always took pay raises. I wish it always took eating any kind of dessert you want and no calories. Whoop, say amen right there. And all the fat people said, hey, man. But anyway, I mean, that's what I wish. I wish it was always sunshine and birds singing, flowers sprouting, babies laughing, mother-in-law a million miles away. I wish it was always good. But I'll be honest with you, sometimes God, listen, when I was growing up, let me, let me give you, when I was growing up, my parents had this capital punishment. In fact, if I, I, I'm almost scared to even say it now because they might go arrest them. But they made us sit at the table and eat every bit of food off our plate. Have you heard of these kind of people before? <laughs> Are you one of these kind of people? My, 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 my family, I tell you, we'd sit there. My mom, my mom was one of those where we always ate together. You know, it wasn't like, and it wasn't just microwavable dinners. And I'm not mad at my wife, but my wife, I mean, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. She's a good cook. But, uh, and she's not here listening. So anyway, my, uh, my mom, she'd make a big meal every day. And we'd sit down to dinner together. We'd call it supper back there. But we'd sit down and eat supper together every evening. And it wasn't just meat and macaroni and cheese, but she also put green stuff on our plate. Any of y'all ever eat the green stuff before? 
You might want to wait and make sure you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, um, somebody said, I smoked it before. But anyway, <laughs> <I'm not laughs> he raised his hand. Oh, my. Yeah, we heard about that. Three hours worth. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But anyway, I'm talking about she'd put broccoli, Brussels sprouts, anything that smells like that before you eat it probably ought not enter your body. I'd walk in the house after school and my mom had been making Brussels sprouts and I thought, man, one of the cats died. It's under the house again, you know? Spinach. It's a proven fact. You can only chew broccoli so long before it will not go down. Have you noticed that? You just, and you try every trick in the world to make it look like, you know, you cut it up real small and scoot it around to every corner of that plate. You, that uh, fake yawn into your napkin deal. <laughs> We'd had a dog and we tried to give it to the dog and even the dog would snub its nose at that stuff. But my parents had a rule, you don't get up till you eat everything on your plate. Pray for my brother. He's like 35, and he hadn't got up yet. He's at the table. <laughs> Man, that was the most awkward wedding ever preached. He'll die at the table. But here's the reason why. If I had my way, I'd, I'd had uh, little Debbie cakes. I'm talking about for, for supper. I mean, that's what I'd had Pop-Tarts. Somebody said, you can't even cook. I said, whatever. I made chocolate Pop-Tarts this morning. Uh, anyway, I mean, I, that's what I would have done. But they made us eat vegetables. You know why? Because there are some things in the vegetables that's not in the Pop-Tart. The Pop-Tart tastes good and it's sweet, but there's some stuff in the vegetables that you need to grow and develop. Now, I don't mean to be super spiritual, but sometimes God knows you need the, br- br- the Brussels sprouts and the broccoli and the spinach. And you say, well, I don't like that. Yeah, I know, but you need that. And instead of getting mad at God, Job didn't curse God. He didn't charge God foolishly. He said, God knows what he's doing. He's in control. You can get up and go on for God if you want to. Number one, why? Because of grace. Number two, because of growth. And lastly, I like this one, because there's more good down the road. If you go to Job chapter number 42, you can turn there if you want to. We'll look at it. Job chapter number 42. I'll turn there in my Bible. Let's just read this testimony of, jo- uh, of Job, the end of his life. Well, look, at verse number, look at verse number 12. See what it says in verse number 12? So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep. That's twice as many, and 6,000 camels, twice as many, and 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 she-asses. He had also seven sons and three daughters. Here's what happened. Job found out the God who had been good could still be good, and the God who had blessed him could still bless him, and the God who loved him still loved him, and the God that had used him would use him again, and the God that had been real was still just as real, and Job found out there was some good stuff down the road. Now here it's hard to preach when you're sitting in it, but it's, it's hard for me to convince folks, and it's hard to convince yourself when you're sitting in it that can ever be even, it can ever be better than it used to be. I understand that. You see, it'll never be like it was. You might be right. It might not ever be like it was. It might just be better than it's ever been before. I wish it was like it was back then. Not me. I want to see what God has for us tomorrow. You can't go back and change it. Can't go back and alter it. I've talked to some people. You ever talk to somebody and it's always that one thing? They can't even have a conversation. It always goes back to that, that thing, that tragedy, that trial, that loss, that mistake. That's, all, that's their life. That's them. And they don't do anything for God today because they're so hung up on yesterday. Can I say that is the devil? And here's what you ought to do is take your hand, knock the devil off your shoulder, tell him go back to hell where he belongs. Understand God is on his throne and has a purpose for your life. If you're breathing air, God's not done with you yet. So here's what you do. You get up out of the ashes, resolved by the grace of God. If he'll help me, I'm going to go on for the glory of God. I was in... Kentucky several years ago. I mentioned that a moment ago. I was traveling to Asheville, North Carolina to preach. 
And you might have heard this story before because I know Pastor Fugate used to preach here some. But I got a phone call from him. I remember the bridge I was crossing on I-40. It gave me a phone call and said, Brother Cooper, I don't know if you've heard this or not, but there's been a tragedy in our church. A family from our church at the time, my church then had been traveling in Texas to visit family. And uh, they had a car accident. A tractor trailer came up behind the van of this family and pushed their van across the lane of traffic into oncoming traffic. And I believe it was another a tractor trailer coming down the other side that hit their van. The teenage boy was driving. I got a picture of him on my phone, us praying together at a youth conference where he surrendered to preach. He was driving. The father was in the van. Two other sons, mother, 10-year-old at the time, girl, I think, and the grandmother. Instantly, when that van was hit, every male member of that family was killed in that accident. The mother and the daughter and the grandmother were all flighted, uh, life flighted of different hospitals in the state of Texas. I remember Pastor Fugate then calling me in Simple Cooper. I've never done a funeral with four caskets at one time. It was a 17-year-old boy, and I forget the middle boy was maybe 13, 12, and the littlest one was six years old. And then the father all passed away. We went back, and my wife went to the hospital and sat with a 10-year-old girl in the hospital on the night of the viewing. And I went there to visit and remember seeing her there. Her head was shaved or she had surgery and things. And I went to the, the, the church and the line for the viewing was out the back door. And I remember seeing those four blue caskets in front of that church. And on top of each casket was a picture of the body that laid inside of it. A little snaggletooth six-year-old boy's school picture on top of this casket and then his brother and his brother and the father. I didn't know she was going to be there, but the mother who'd been the accident was in the, in the church house in a wheelchair. Even now today, she walks a little bit with a limp. But she was in a wheelchair stretched out with her jaw kind of wired shut. And as I walked through, I thought, I don't know what I'm going to say to her. I've got nothing to say to her. I mean, what can I say to help her? I remember walking through and talking to the oldest daughter who had been working in the church office, hadn't been on vacation with the family. She was standing by the caskets. Then I went to the mother and just told her, I said, I want you to know, and I named her name. I said, I want you to know I'm praying for you. And churches all across the country are praying for you. And Mrs. Avalar looked at me and she said, I know God has a reason, Brother Cooper. Thank you for praying. When she said that to me, can I tell you what? My problems got real small. You know what they're doing right now? Serving God in church. Faithful in church, still in church. If she could, in a moment like that, look at me and say, I believe God has a purpose and a reason. Surely whatever it is that's got you bogged down in the past, you could resolve to understand God might know better than we know. And it doesn't take the pain away and it doesn't change the fact that it hurts, but it ought to give you hope that you can go forward if you'll let God help you. I'm going to pray the altar be open just a moment. Maybe here tonight and that was you that needed it. Maybe just one, maybe there's two people. I don't know. But I believe someone needed to hear it tonight. You can't go back, but you can go on.